This afternoon I may proclaim to you the Word of God as we summarize it, as we confess it in Lord's Day 33 of the Heidelberg Catechism. But for that purpose, let's first read from Scripture. We start in the Old Testament to Samuel chapter 18. We'll start at verse 24 to Samuel 18. It's the story and the previous chapters of how Absalom rebelled against his father. And in chapter 18, we read how the men of David and the men of Absalom fought, and Absalom lost, and he lost his life. And we pick up the narrative in verse 24 of 2 Samuel 18. Now David was sitting between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof over the gate to the wall lifted his eyes and looked, and there was a man running alone. Then the watchman cried out and told the king, and the king said, If he is alone, there is news in his mouth. And he came rapidly and drew near. Then the watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called to the gatekeeper and said, There is another man running alone. And the king said, He also brings good news. So the watchman said, I think the running of the first is like the running of Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, He is a good man and comes with good news. So Ahimaaz called out and said to the king, All is well. Then he bowed down with his face to the earth before the king and said, Blessed be the Lord your God who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my lord the king. And the king said, Is the young man Absalom safe? Ahimaaz answered, When Job sent the king's servant and me your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I did not know what it was about. And the king said, Turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. Just then the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, There is good news, my lord the king, for the Lord has avenged you this day on all those who rose against you. And the king said to the Cushite, Is the young man Absalom safe? So the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise against you to do harm be like that young man. Then the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said thus, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place. O Absalom, my son, my son. And Job was told, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard it said that day, The king is grieved for his son. And the people stole back into the city that day as people who are ashamed to steal away when they flee in battle. But the king covered his face, and the king cried out with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. And then we will turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 15. The very well-known parable, commonly called the parable of the prodigal son. Luke 15, we'll read the verses 11 through 24. And he, that is Christ, said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to to be in want. 
Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and sent him, he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to, and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry, for this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. And then we will also read from our confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 33, where we confess, what is the true repentance or conversion of man? It is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. What is the dying of the old nature? It is to grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin and more and more to hate it and flee from it. What is the coming to life of the new nature? It is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. But what are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith in accordance with the law of God and to his glory, and not those based on our own opinion or on the precepts of men. And in response to the proclamation of God's word, we will voice our Amen by singing again from Psalm 51, stanzas 4 and 6. Love a congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we read a very sad story out of 2 Samuel 18, didn't we? And that's, that chapter is the conclusion of a long and sad story. The king was sitting in the gate of the city of Maenaim, and in the distance a battle was raging. The king's men were fighting for their king, for their beloved master, but that's not what he was thinking about. All he could think about was his son, the son who had betrayed him, the son who had caused him so much grief, the son who was living in sin. And at the moment that he was, he was waiting for the outcome of the battle, he didn't feel the weight of his crown. All he felt was the weight of a father's concern for a wayward son. That king was David. He was sitting there at the gate. You can, you can just imagine him sitting there. What was he waiting for? What was he hoping for? What was, he, was he hoping perhaps that his son would suddenly appear out of the forest and come running up to his father and say, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. But that's not who he sees coming. It's a messenger instead. The son will never come to see his father again. He's lost. He's dead. 
and he dies in his sin and shame. He died without being reconciled to his father, without being reconciled to God. And in the forest of Ephraim, there lies a pile of stones. It's a grave. It's the grave of a prince, but at the same time, it's a warning. It's a pile of stones that is a warning. And that pile of stones proclaims, this is what happens to children. Covenant children who rebel against their God and against their parents and do not turn back in repentance. That's a very sad story. And that's quite a different ending than, than the parable that Jesus told about the lost son in Luke 15. That's a story that speaks of repentance, true repentance. And that's what Lord's Day 33 is about. It speaks of the conversion or repentance of man. And in the catechism, those two words are interchangeable. And so that's the theme for the sermon this afternoon, repentance or conversion. What is it? Well, it is a change of heart and secondly, a change of life. True repentance or conversion is to have a change of heart. In Ezekiel 36, we are given a vivid description of what conversion is. There the prophet was speaking to members of the Old Testament church, children of Israel, who had been exiled to Babylon because of their stubborn refusal to honor the Lord their God and Him alone. They had profaned His holy name by serving other gods. And then the Lord says to them that He will vindicate His own name by what He is going to do through His people. He says to them, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. You see, congregation, our rebellion against God is just like the rebellion of our first parents, a rebellion of the heart. It begins in the heart. It's a wholehearted rebellion, and it's a rebellion of the whole heart. And that is where the reversal must begin as well, in the heart. God's Spirit must take over and reign in our hearts. Instead of a spirit of rebellion, through God's Spirit and through His grace, He gives us a spirit of submission. Instead of hatred, a spirit of love. Instead of aversion to keep his, keeping His commandments, a willingness to keep His commandments. And such a conversion is a wholehearted conversion. And at the same time, it's a conversion of the whole heart. Conversion of our thought, our will, and our desires. And that's what happened to the prodigal son. We read that he was starving and desperate. And he finally came to himself. That's true repentance. He experienced a real change. He became a different person. He started to think differently. His will and his desires turned from being selfish and self-destructive to becoming willing to do what is right. He became a different person. He experienced a complete reversal of character. He used to think that working for his dad at home was boring. His father's house. That's same old stuff, right? His dad had little to offer. His dad was always talking about God and serving God, and he felt so restricted there. There, was all kinds of, there were all kinds of movies he wasn't allowed to watch. And he, and he couldn't have a party with his friends whenever he wanted to, but he couldn't serve as much alcohol as he, as he would like to, and, 
And his dad kept a close eye on him, a close eye on his relationships too with other people. But what happened was that his wrong desires and his lust for sin destroyed the bond of love that he had with his father. And so he demanded his inheritance and he took off. He took off to a foreign land. You could say he left the church and he left the family of God for the land of strangers. And where he was going, of course, he was going to be free. Nobody to look over his shoulder anymore, right? No one to keep an eye on his activities. No one to stop him from doing what he wanted. And so he became lost. And that's what happens to someone who despises God's love and abuses God's mercy by living in sin and wanting to go their own way. Any child of the Lord who lets him or herself be dominated by those kinds of sinful desires and gives in to them soon becomes lost, filled with feelings of insecurity. And then the, the assurance of faith just becomes a fading memory. That's what happened to this young man in the parable too. He became lost in a big hurry. He was just speeding down the road of destruction. And soon he found himself in a pit of misery. But then that we see that he changed. He came to a point where he stopped. He stopped in the, in the middle of that road of destruction. And what do we read in, in the parable? We read he came to his senses. By God's grace, he recognized himself for who he really was. A wretched sinner. And he recognized his misery. And he recognized that he had brought himself to this point. And why is it that he recognized this? It's because he remembered something. He remembered his father and his father's house. Because as soon as he came to his senses, that's what he remembered. He remembered that he was a child of his father. And that memory, that memory caused him to see who he had become. And that memory also turned into longing. Suddenly he was homesick again. Notice how Jesus says that he came to himself. The truth is that he went, when he left his father and his father's house, he had actually also deserted his, himself, his own identity. He had betrayed himself. He, he was living in denial of who he really was. He lived in self-betrayal. You see, the Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately wicked. If we don't live by faith, brothers and sisters, we so easily deceive ourselves because as we heard this morning, sin is so deceitful. It lures us into thinking that the results of sin can be good for us. And so the prodigal son deceived himself. He forgot who he was, that he was a covenant child, that he was a child of his father, the child of the Lord. He forgot about that. And if it really comes down to it, then a person who lives in sin and allows him or herself to be controlled by sin is someone who's not really completely with it. They're not in their right mind because their mind is given over to the power of sin. But by God's grace, this young man comes to himself. But then not only to himself, he comes to his father. He starts thinking about his father. He begins to think and to reflect 
And then he begins to repent. He stops. And he has a change of mind. He turns around because that's what repenting means. It means stopping what you're doing, turning around and going in the other direction. He comes to a different way of thinking. And the old nature in him begins to die and he has he even has genuine grief because of his sin. He begins to hate his sin and flee from it, to use the words of the catechism. He recognizes and admits that his life was a life of sin, nothing but self-indulgent sin. And when he looks at himself and when he examines his heart and his motives, he's, he's overwhelmed because his, his guilt and his shame are just staring him in the face. All those wasted days, all that wasted money, all those neglected prayers, all those violated commandments, all those nights spent reveling in sin, and all this is piled up in one giant heap of guilt and debt, and it, and it, it hits him like a ton of bricks. This is what I've become. This is my guilt. This is my shame. This is my debt. And then, then comes the sorrow and the grief and the repentance. What he thought was once as sweet as honey, he now starts tasting like vinegar. You see, the sword of the Spirit has opened up his heart with surgical precision and exposed him for who he really is. Wretched man that I am, he could say, if he had read Romans. And then he slumps in absolute defeat. I am perishing here. He's had it. He can't go on. But he remembers his father. He has a father. Three times that's mentioned, his father. He has a father. A father who is so generous with his hired hands. They have it so good, and now he's starving. And he finally remembers how good his father is. If only he was just a hired hand. He could be close to his father again. You see, beloved congregation, do you see how repentance and conversion goes hand in hand with the desire to be near to the Father? Repentance makes one desire redemption. Repentance makes you desire for forgiveness, forgiveness from your Father. Repentance makes one want to make right, you want to make things right again with the one against whom you have sinned, the one you have sinned against. As we sang in Psalm 51, against you, O Lord, only against you have I sinned. And that's how the old nature starts to die and the new nature begins to live more and more and take over. And then we also come to the point where a change of heart leads to a change of life. We read twice in this parable that this young man got up. He didn't just say, I will arise and go to my father. He did arise and go to his father. His change of heart led to homesickness for his father and his father's house. And the life he once loved, he now hated, and so he fled. He fled from that life. He fled from that foreign land. He went and he left his unbelieving friends behind. He fled from his sin because he had learned to hate that, to hate that sin. And even before he came to his father, he had already spoken words of, of confession. I will say to my father, I have sinned before heaven and against you. 
You see, someone who has repented from sin cannot live without forgiveness or die without forgiveness. A repentant conscience won't allow that. And so the son goes to pour his heart out before his father. True penitence, congregation, true repentance is getting up and getting going. And this young man literally had to get up out of the muck of his life, out of the muck of sin. And like we use the expression to fall into sin, there must also be an opposite result when there is repentance. We get up from falling into sin. We stand up in the grace of God. But we must do more than stand up again. We must go back to the Father, turn away from that fallen way and rise up and go the way of standing and walking in God's grace. So the young man didn't just stand up, he began to walk home. His feet were penitent. His mouth was penitent because his heart was penitent. And it showed. It became obvious in what he was doing in his walk of life. His change of heart was backed up with a change in his life. And so we can ask ourselves some questions. How is that with you, brothers and sisters? When you sin against God and your neighbor... Do you just say sorry and then keep on going with your life? Or do you hope that others will largely just ignore your sin, sweep it under the carpet so that you might not even have to say sorry or make amends? Can people around you tell by your actions that you are genuinely sorry for your sins? Or are we just sorry for getting caught? Are we just sorry because our sins damage our reputation? Are we only sorry because when our sin is exposed, people will find out how rotten we really are? Often, our solution to our sinful character is is to put on a facade. But that doesn't really cut it, does it? You can't. You can put a a shiny coat of paint on a rotten piece of wood. But that wood still remains rotten on the inside. That doesn't make the wood solid. And so words and tears are not enough to indicate repentance. That's not enough. Genuine repentance is followed by meaningful action. Action also that is meaningful to others. It has to be evident to others. True repentance says, I have sinned and I am not worthy. True repentance is self-incriminating. Right? You'll have noticed in the parable, the son became his own accuser. Neither the father nor anyone else had to confront him with his sin. He condemned himself and he begged for forgiveness. When we live that way, beloved congregation, the result is that we will find heartfelt joy in God through Christ. Because that's what it feels like to come home again to Father after you've been alienated by sin. You are welcomed again into your Father's house, into His family. And then you will have a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works as we confess 
And question answer 90. After all, how could you not? The prodigal son was more than happy to have the lowest kind of work as long as he would be close to his father again. He was happy to do anything in his father's kingdom because it meant that he would be home again. He believed in his father. In faith, he accepted whatever his father would give to him. And he, w- he accepted that his father would also give him everything he needed to live from, even if he was just a slave in his father's house. But his father gave him so much more than what he deserved and expected. And what would you expect from a son like that then? Wouldn't you expect that he would gladly obey his father? Gladly do whatever his father asked him? Gladly do his father's will? An attempt to show him in every way how grateful he was? Isn't that what you would do? And please keep in mind, Lord's Day 33 is the confession of believers. It's the confession of those who have already confessed Lord's Day 1 and Lord's Day 2 and 3 and 10 about the providence of God and all those Lord's Days about the work of Christ. Right? In the parable of Luke 15, it's about a covenant child. We're not talking here about an unbeliever, but one of God's children, a covenant child. And we all need to repent. It's not just the big sinners who need to repent. The ones that are so obvious, right? The alcoholics or the porn addicts, but also the people who love a juicy bit of gossip. Those of us who place more importance on possessions than spending time in the Word of God. Those are things we need to repent from too. If we're more keen on a holiday than on a Sunday, we must all repent daily from our sins. The Father calls us all to repentance. His word is powerful, but it also bids us come. He comes to us in love and he bids us come. The prodigal son was starving and his hunger told him, go home to your father. And his feet set him on the road to his father, on the road home. At the same time, the abundance and the love in his father's home called to him, come home, my son, come back to your father. Why would anyone hesitate to go to a father like that when the father bids him come? And so, my brother, my sister, if you are in a place where you need to repent, do not hesitate because the father bids you come. And he is merciful and gracious. He is the overflowing fountain of all good. And he has such rich blessings. And there are so many riches in store for you in your father's family, in your father's house. You have an eternal inheritance with him. An inheritance that is much bigger than, than the prodigal son ever could have imagined when he received his inheritance. But we heard this morning from Romans 8 how, how rich God's grace is. That he's willing to forgive again and again. And he knows that we're not perfect. He knows that our repentance isn't perfect. And yet he is willing to forgive. Because we know that if our repentance isn't perfect, God will still forgive us. Because otherwise we would never be forgiven. But he accepts us and he loves us. And he accepts our repentance 
Not for our sake, but for Jesus' sake. And Absalom had that too. And he knew that. He was a covenant child, but he threw it all away. He was a prince in the kingdom of his father, and he had such a privileged life, and he threw it all away. And for what? What did he really stand to gain by taking his father's throne away from him? A few more pieces of gold, maybe. A few more people to bow before him. He threw it all away just for a few more things, just for some stuff. But in the meantime, he had more than he needed. And so don't become an Absalom. Absalom was a covenant child, but he threw away the covenant promises. And I don't really think I have to tell you that it's not worth it. That's so obvious from these two passages in Scripture. And so don't waste your time if you need to repent. Don't think to yourself, I still have tomorrow and I'm having too much fun today. I I can wait. And, and, And repentance... Well, that's, that comes at too great, great a cost because if I really have to admit what I did and I have to say sorry, well, then that's, that could be shameful and people will find out things about me that I don't want them to know. Right? You might have to give up so much. But imagine if you did not repent, how much would you be giving up then? Think of Absalom. And remember this, the Father is waiting for you to come to your senses if you need to repent. We have to remember that. He is waiting, ready to throw his arms around every repentant sinner who comes to him and say, come to me, my son. And then we shouldn't blame someone else, but we should say very simply, I have sinned and not another, and I am not worthy, and I know my sin is disgusting. Father, just make me a servant in your house. Just let me be close to you. Give me anything as long as I can be a member of your family. And when you come to the Father like that, you will not be disappointed, congregation. He will feed you with the best of foods, with peace and with righteousness and with joy in Christ. And your life will become a feast of joy and thanksgiving. To use the words of Scripture, He will clothe you with garments of white. And He will restore you to a position that you don't deserve. But it will be yours. That's His free grace. To believe that, to experience that, and to appreciate that. And to live out of that. That is true repentance. That is experiencing the grace of God. And may it be that we all experience that. Amen.